Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Buery, and as always, I'm with global disaster researcher, Dr. Lucy Jones. Each episode, we thank our supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Please consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 a month to support the work of the center. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now, let's get to it. Last weekend, there was a 7.2 earthquake in Haiti, 11 years after a devastating 7.0 struck the capital city of Port-au-Prince, killing hundreds of thousands. This larger earthquake this weekend, it's about twice as big as it was 11 years ago, requires us to look at earthquakes and disasters in relationship to our understanding of how they impact us in 2021. First, Lucy, this is a bigger earthquake, but you tweeted almost immediately that this was going to be far less damaging. Explain how this earthquake demonstrates the facts that intensity matters to people more than magnitude. Magnitude's the number we all hear when an earthquake happens, but it's a number that tells you how much energy is released, not how much damage is done. That energy travels from the fault, getting smaller as it travels. You can look back at our Young and Hot in California episode. That was number 55. As the waves travel from the fault, they die off. And as they come to the surface, they can be amplified by a loose soil right under the building. So when, you know, they say the three things that matter are location, location, and location, that's actually close for earthquakes. What matters are the location with respect to the fault, the location with respect to local soils, and magnitude. The causative fault for Haiti is a long east-west striking fault that extends out the peninsula of southwest Haiti. The 2010 quake was on a part of that fault near the capital city of Port-au-Prince with over a million residents. So that area received very strong shaking in 2010 and most of the casualties were there in Port-au-Prince. Here in 2021, it's a Western part of that fault that moved under the city of Le Quay and which has only about 100,000 residents. And so those people got the really strong shaking that was in Port-au-Prince earlier, and there's a lot of damage in that city of La Caye, but with fewer people, we're gonna be seeing fewer numbers of dead and losses. And this isn't an aftershock or even a triggered earthquake. How likely was this the earthquake that would happen after what happened in 2011? Here's where we get into the probably messiest part of earthquake triggering. We have aftershocks that trigger right away and very nearby. But we also are moving on faults and there is a stress change associated with the movement on the fault. And that change will stress the adjacent part of the fault. Most of the time, that doesn't lead to another earthquake. You can look around the world and most earthquakes happen, their aftershocks happen, that's it. But sometimes we do see an influence down the fault that seems to be significant. For instance, in Turkey in the early 20th century, there was a series of five big magnitude sevens on the North Anatolian fault coming out over time. So we're in this tough situation that when something like this happens, we can say the adjacent part of the fault is now closer to failure. But since we didn't know how close to failure it was in the first place, we can't say whether this is gonna be something in the next five years or in the next 500 years. So with this information then, how can authorities 
get ready for what might come or might not come. It's going to be either five years or potentially 500 years. Exactly. So it's how do you handle the situation where the probability of an earthquake has gone up, but in absolute terms, it's still small, at least compared to human time scales. So we do know that if you are near this fault or any of the other big faults around the world, you have a greater likelihood of earthquakes than if you're someplace farther away. We don't know when. We know that number, whatever the probability is, goes up when you have a big earthquake adjacent to the area. But again, we don't know the absolute number, and we're pretty sure that absolute number is still small compared to the risk of hurricanes in Haiti. So what you've got to do is really be working in long-term planning. It's not about spending a lot more money on our buildings, though obviously that can help. But if you remember that you've got these long-term risks when you build, you can use engineering knowledge to find better cost-effective ways to build in ways that'll actually help. And there are organizations, there's one called Geohazards International that works in Haiti, that have tried to take this approach of sharing knowledge to make a difference. But we need to do it in more places, in more countries. And then there's also this issue right now for Haiti. We have this long fault. There was an earthquake in 2010 in the east and an earthquake in 2021 in the west. And in between, there's a section of the fault about 40 kilometers long, which is about long enough for another magnitude, six and a half to seven, that has now been stressed from both sides. We don't know if it'll go, we don't know when it'll go, but we sure know that it's more likely now because of these two other earthquakes than it would have been without them happening. When an earthquake like this happens though, why don't governments respond quicker? If there's one thing we've learned by listening to you over the years, Lucy, something that you say pretty often, it's that we know pretty quickly where the damage will be and how bad it will be based on models and instrumentation. It's not a surprise to those with the tools what's going to happen next. And those tools are actually available to the public and government agencies. And our problem is once again, the connection between science and society. Over the last couple of decades, the scientists have really worked to create these very rapid tools. The US Geological Survey now publishes for every significant earthquake within about 30 minutes, the result of something called pager, which gives you the chances of damage from an earthquake. It takes what we know from the magnitude and fault and location to say, where is the shaking going to be? Because it's that intensity, not the magnitude that determines what the damage is. And then it maps that against population distribution and against knowledge about building types. So the estimate out of Haiti is going to be more damage for the same shaking than it would be say in California where there are stricter building codes. Using that, they can estimate a probability distribution of the likely losses. And for this earthquake within a half an hour, we saw that the most probable casualty count was likely to be above 10,000 and yet we still are in a process where we wait and count and pull the bodies out before we say that's what the losses actually are. And yes, we need the official count that requires counting bodies, but we could be acting on that information a lot sooner. And I think what the problem is, is that number one, the scientists produce the information and in what they consider the best way, but don't really know how to get it to policymakers. And policymakers are used to discounting the scientists and technologists and just saying, we know how we do it, and this has worked in the past, and 
we don't know that we can trust what you've got there. So we need to get better connections and really train people to use this. Even here in California, I haven't seen a lot of emergency response planning being done for using this information that we do have and we do have really quickly. And in a place like California, where we have a lot of instruments, we're gonna have this information within minutes. It's the use of that information that makes for better response, which actually improves the likelihood of survival and improves recovery timeframe as well. Because we know that disasters often lead to political upheaval. And what happens in Haiti may test the already strained political system in that country. Every time we look at disasters, we see that the losses from social disruption after the event are at least as large as what happens during the event itself. And so how you respond and how quickly you do that and how quickly you can get the economic system operating again really makes a difference. But you need a functioning government to really handle that recovery. I look at Haiti that's going through political turmoil at exactly the moment when this earthquake happens and two tropical storms coming through and feel really concerned how these people are going to be able to pull it back together. We know we have the tools and scientific knowledge not to prevent the earthquake. We can't do that, but to prepare for and respond to these events more effectively. And that's what seems to be frustrating. It gets down to this fundamental. Science can tell us what will happen, but it's only if we use that information to prevent it, to be ready for it, to respond more quickly, that we're actually going to reduce those losses. And as we look forward to the increase in disasters, not earthquakes, but meteorologic disasters that are coming with climate change, it's becoming more imperative than ever that we learn how to use the information we do have to do a better job of both preparing and responding. Well, let's leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with you, Dr. Lucy Jones, and all of you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.